Are there any kids that want to go to children's church? Caleb is waiting for you. Dear Lord, we thank you that we can look at your word. We pray that you'd bless it to us. Pray that you would use the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart in such a way that they're acceptable in your sight and a blessing. Please give uh, the words of my mouth favor with those that listen. So take away things that would distract us, Lord, impediments to hearing your word and responding in faith and obedience. We thank you for Jesus, who is the great shepherd of the sheep. We thank you for his presence with us now to guide us. We pray that you'd help us to be responsive to your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. It was easy. Ronnie made it from first to second on a fly ball that Gene hit to the far corner of the left field. Sacrifice fly, we might say. Over the last 365 days, I think that's what, 563 days, I think that's what it's been. Um, <clears throat> people in Ukraine have learned what it means to sacrifice for the sake of their country. Aaron called me the other day exhausted. He'd been up all night with his daughter Grace, who was suffering from fever and congest congestion. It was a sacrifice of love. And um, Harry, you heard about Harry. In Sunday school, let me tell you about another Harry. Um, Harry told me he wanted to follow a healthy diet without sacrificing taste. And I wholeheartedly agreed, even as I pondered chocolate syrup on vanilla ice cream. Sacrifice. Frankly, it's a topic I'm not too excited about most of the time, and I suspect you're like me. Uh, when we sacrifice, we deny ourselves, and uh, there's so many messages in our culture to the contrary. Seemingly an endless flow of ads that remind us and encourage us, pursue personal peace, be safe, go after upward mobility, do what feels good. Fulfill yourself. So if I somehow wanted to and had good reason, how would I go about this whole business of sacrifice? Might the Lord have a plan along the road to sacrifice? How does he help us grow to be more sacrificial? In what ways is it important for God to strengthen our wills uh, to be sacrificial? So we're looking at God's plan, his growth path, and how he shapes our will. Acts chapter, 17, uh, Acts chapter 21, verses 1 to 17, the verses we just read, would you please turn to that? 
What's God's plan along the road to sacrifice? Well, look at verses 1 to 6. Uh, Paul and Luke are headed to Jerusalem. And they find a ship. And the next day they're in Rhodes, and the next day on to Patara. And then another ship to Phoenicia. And very soon they are in Tyre. Is that only a brief travelogue, or might Luke be doing something else? He seems to be showing us how the Lord both provided for and guided Paul along this path on which he's leading him. Just think about some of the details that aren't mentioned, but are assumed. The Lord has to line up some ships so Paul can get on them. Um, he has to do, get them in the right place at the right time. He has to um, check the weather forecast to make sure it's going to be smooth sailing and safe traveling. And let me just pause here and ask, how has your life unfolded? Places you've traveled, unanticipated ways you've moved, maybe in an unreliable family car, or um, because you were able to get your passport at the final second and scurry through the airport, or onto a train. Uh, some doors slam shut, others surprisingly fly open. Life can be a little crazy, right? But here you are today at Covenant Church, and just glancing around, you look like you pretty much have it together. Is your life subject to wild chance or is the Lord working out a plan? Take comfort from his word. Psalm 32, I will guide you with my eye. Proverbs 3, 4 and 5, in all your ways acknowledge him, seek to make him known, and he'll direct your path. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, God's working all things together for good for those that love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. God provides for Paul. God guides Paul along the way. Well, what's next? Look at verses 4 through 6 now. As Luke and Paul wait for the ship to unload, they connect with some local believers. Verse 4 tells us that, well, they, they sought them out. We don't know how. And now at the end of verse 4, what we read is, we stayed there seven days, and then through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. What's this? Let's do a little flashback here. What do we know about God's plan for Paul's life? Uh, if you go back to Acts chapter 9, you find uh, the Lord stopping him on the road to Damascus. He's saved, and then he gives Ananias an assignment. I want you to go and help Paul, and Ananias is not too excited. He says, Lord, I've heard things about this guy, how he's ravaged the church. Maybe you could send somebody, you know, he doesn't say that, but I suppose he was thinking, please send somebody else. Then the Lord says to Ananias, 
these important words about Paul. I'm going to show him how much he will have to suffer for my sake. Life for Paul would be painful and purposeful, both. Those two go together. Painful and purposeful. He's going to sacrifice for Christ because Christ has first sacrificed so much for him. Now fast forward to chapter 20 of Acts, and Paul's with the Ephesian elders, and what does he say to them? He says, I am going to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit testifies that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Paul knows it's going to be tough, there's going to be suffering and sacrifice for Jesus in his future. And so now here we are in Tyre, and there are these dear, sincere, caring Christian friends, and they tell Paul, through the Spirit, don't go to Jerusalem. The Lord's provided for Paul, the Lord's guided Paul, but these believers say, please reconsider. Based on our understanding of God's will for your life, going to Jerusalem is a bad idea. What's up? How can Paul say on the one hand to the Ephesian elders, I'm going to Jerusalem, guided by the Spirit, and now uh, the Christians in Tyre say, hey, don't go. The Spirit has told us. Easy. The disciples in Tyre are not thinking God's thoughts. They go beyond God's word. It was true. Paul had a hard row ahead of him. But what they do is they extrapolate from that and say, we know what God's will for you now is relative to this trip to Jerusalem, even though God had not revealed that detail to them or to Paul. And it sounds so pious, right? Paul, we want what's best for you. We don't want you to be exposed to trouble in Jerusalem. It makes logical sense, but it doesn't make biblical sense. And that's an important distinction. Maximizing Paul's personal safety is not the final determiner of God's will for him. So it's one thing for us to say we know God's will. Here it is. Acts 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That is true. It's quite another thing to draw inferences from what we think we understand about the Bible and then apply them to other people's lives as if we know what God's will for them is. Well, with that counsel, verse 5, the disciples say goodbye and Paul and Luke leave for Tyre. Ever been in a situation like Paul's? I have. I really liked Judy when I was in high school. My mother, not so much. Now, what was I supposed to do? In this case, she thought she, my mother knew what was best for me. And in actual fact, I think she was right back then. Uh, after college, I applied to a couple seminaries. My dad had gone to Westminster. What am I supposed to do with myself? Uh, maybe you can think of other examples where you wonder, what should I do? 
Well, does the Lord have a plan? That's the question that's before us right now. And the answer is absolutely. And he directs our path the way he directed Paul's path. He provided for Paul. He provides for us. He guided Paul. He guides us. And he gives us advice, counsel through believers, just as he did with Paul. This was the path that the, on which the Lord took Paul toward sacrifice. Do we always like it? Nope. But ministry means sacrifice, and God leads us by his word, by his spirit, and by his people. But what about these differences between Paul and the saints in Tyre? And how will those differences uh, shape Paul's future? Well, just hang on. We aren't there yet, but we will get to that. How does the Lord now grow us in our commitment to sacrifice for him? I'd like you to look at verses 7 through 12. And the answer, the short answer is, he does it by surrounding us with believers. Tire, more believers than Ptolemaeus, just for one day, and then on to Caesarea, to Philip, and to his family. When might Paul and Philip last have been in the same town? Anybody know? I don't know. Uh, one commentator suggests perhaps 20 years earlier in Jerusalem. And if accurate, that would have placed them together at the time of Stephen's murder. Now, lots of water has gone over the dam since then, right? Philip has fled the persecution that came after Stephen's murder. And he's gone on a very successful evangelistic mission to Samaria. Lots of people have been converted and baptized. And then an angel comes and interrupts him. Think of that. He interrupts him and he sends him down to Gaza and to an Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip witnesses to him. He's converted, he's baptized, and then unceremoniously, the spirit snatches Philip away. We don't know how, and he never sees the eunuch again. He then goes down to Caesarea, we're told, in Acts chapter 8, gets married. The Lord gives him four daughters. And what happened to Paul? Where was he in this last 20 years? Well, the Lord saved him and commissioned him. Traveled on two and a half, I suppose, missionary journeys. That's what it looks like here. He's into journey three. Uh, he travels on these missionary journeys. He's a recognized church leader, and he suffers and sacrifices in serving the Lord. What must it have been like to be in that gathering when Paul and Philip joined one another in Caesarea. I wish I had been a fly in the wall, don't you? Mm. Paul, uh, Philip, a faithful servant who's who has learned that ministry means sacrifice. And Paul, 
getting to know his girls and presumably his wife and sharing with them how he had learned to sacrifice for the Lord. What an encouragement it must have been for Paul, besides that, to see another generation of believers raised up. These four uh, women, they now are prophesying, using their gifts for the Lord. By the way, speaking of children, uh, we need help in the children's ministry. Would you please pray about that? And uh, if you're interested, talk to Stephanie um, and consider that opportunity. Well, verse 10 tells us now, uh, they're staying with Philip for many days, lots of things about which they can reminisce. Well, one of the ways that the Lord grows us is by exposing us to other believers who have walked the path of sacrifice. And that's why we talk about the importance of your story. It's not incidental. The Lord has done things in your life through which you can be a blessing to those that are following after you. Well, the Lord had been doing lots of good things in Philip and in Paul, as he has been in you. But there's another way the Lord grows our commitment to sacrifice. Now look at verses 10 through 12 with me. Enter Agabus. How would you like to be called Agabus? Agabus Moro. And Agabus Renzetti. And Agabus, you know, Agabus, what a name. Well, he comes down from Judea, he takes a belt, he wraps it around Paul's uh, arms and his, his feet and his hands, and then he interprets this illustration, and this is what he says, verse 10, the Holy Spirit says that this is what the Jews in Jerusalem will do to the man who owns this belt, and the Jews will hand him over to the Gentiles. So we have Christians in Tyre saying to Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. And now we have this group in Caesarea who say essentially the same thing. Now, Paul takes seriously their counsel. And in a minute, we'll see how it impacts his commitment to sacrifice. But here's the thing. The Lord helps us be more Christ-like by bringing other believers into our lives. It's very important. When I was growing up, our family would uh, go on vacation out to the uh, southwestern Michigan where my grandparents lived. And on the way, we would stop to see Uncle Hobie and Aunt Florence. They were uh, seminary friends of my mom's and dad's. And Uncle Hobie had a church Pittsburgh area in Canada, southern Canada, right on the way, so we could go and see them. And it was great. We'd get there mid-afternoon, and Uncle Hobie would take my dad and me, we'd go in the car, and he'd take us around town, and he'd show us where various things were happening. And then we'd go over to the church building, and uh, he and dad would joke about things and uh, tease each other, and it was a wonderful time. And after dinner, they would stay up late and catch up on the things that the Lord was doing in their lives. 
I just loved it. It was the best. I so wanted to watch them interact with one another. And occasionally I'd be mentioned in the conversation. But they helped me love the church. Our church, Uncle Hobie's church, and their sharing made me think, wouldn't it be a privilege to be able to serve a local church? Well, who are some of the believers that the Lord has brought into your life? Who has crossed your path over the years? And how have those contacts deepened your love for Jesus and your desire to serve him? Reading over those verses brought a long list to my mind. I'm, in spir I'm spiritually indebted to so many people from, you know, New England to Florida to the Southwest to the Upper Midwest out to the West. Lots of people. And you happen to be among them. Yeah, when Debbie and I were married, um, I was introduced to a whole new world here in Reading and a whole new world here at Covenant Church. I think I'd been to Covenant only one time before. And like Paul, you have challenged me and you've expanded my horizons and I want to say unabashedly thank you. I am very grateful for your input into my life. Well, the Lord provides and guides us along paths that take us to sacrifice. And the Lord encourages us with people who model sacrifice, the sacrifice that Christ wants to see in our lives. So now look at verses 13 to 17. How does the Lord show us steps of sacrifice? Don't go to Jerusalem, the saints in Caesarea say, in no uncertain terms. And so now listen to Paul's response. Don't you think it's an anguished one? What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, and even, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, can you get the emotion of that moment? I mean, this is not surface stuff. Paul is saying, in effect, your counsel is crushing. It causes me great sorrow. You're incapacitating me. This is tearing me up. Now, back in Tyre, we wondered... How will don't go to Jerusalem impact Paul? Now here in Caesarea, we wonder, what will Paul do in light of their advice at Caesarea? And what a turn of events. He expresses a more focused commitment, a crystallized desire, a fueled dedication, rather than dissuading Paul these Christians acquiesce to his vision and they entrust him to the Lord's will. Verse 14. Some journey with him on to Manasseh into his house and then others to Jerusalem where he is gladly received. The Lord leads us by providing and guiding us 
along a path that leads to sacrifice. He provides and he guides. Yeah, he wants you to sacrifice, but don't worry because everything he requires, he also provides for you. And the Lord encourages us by being around people who model sacrifice for us. And the Lord does this other thing here. He deepens our love for Christ even as we encounter opposition to sacrificing for his sake. Living to sacrifice. I mean, isn't that the walk of love? Didn't Paul say to the Ephesians, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love even as Christ loved you and gave himself up as a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma? God sacrifices, Christ sacrifices, be imitators of God. By his words, by his saving work, and by the model of his life, Jesus calls you to a life of sacrifice. Over 60 years ago, a young man scribbled a brief entry in his journal. And what he wrote represents some of the most often quoted Christian words not found in the Bible. With four friends, Jim Elliott sacrificed his life and gave the gospel to a tribal group in Ecuador. Sacrifice. It's a concept that runs countercultural. It's a, it's a concept that runs counter to much of 21st century hype, and it's underrated. 21st century hype is underrated. For followers of Jesus, sacrifice is now the important thing. It's not in the back corner not on the back burner it's important now maybe this week maybe today would you do this would you ask the Lord to put in you a desire to sacrifice for somebody pray about it would you ask the Lord to give you an opportunity to make a sacrifice for somebody it's it's kind of a paradoxical thing but this is the call of Christ don't come to fulfill your life. Come to give your life away. And when we sacrifice to Christ by faith, we receive the grace that he needs, that we need to be sacrificial. We give ourselves to Christ. He gives us what we need so we can be like him. So Paul could write to the Corinthians, he died for all, that those who live should not from this point on live for themselves, but unto him who died for them, and rose again. Jim Elliot wrote these words in his journal. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Lord, bless your word to us, we pray. Help us to be increasingly sacrificial because of your great sacrifice for us. We ask these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. Our last song is Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah.
Would you please stand as we sing it? 